Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the Word. Right on. You guys know that's what amen means, right? Thank you, Matt. I, I always... I always wanted to be a rock star, missed my calling. So, how do you want to be remembered? When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? How will you be remembered? Here are, uh, here are a couple of tombstones of some famous people and how they wanted to be remembered or not. Merv. I will not be right back after this message. And uh, Rodney, well, there goes the neighborhood. You know, wherever his cemetery is, it's just gone downhill since then. And then this lady, her name was actually Lola Olivia Lang. But she's happy and laughing out loud somewhere. Yeah. You know, um, if Jesus had an epitaph, which he doesn't because the tomb was empty, right? It would probably read like this. Jesus loved God, he loved people, he made disciples, and he is not here. Yeah, praise the Lord that he's not here. We're, uh, We're moving on in our Like Jesus journey together. We're in this next book called Walk Like Jesus. Um, Looks like this. If you want hard copy, uh, let us know. We can get you one. However, it's all in the app. If you download the Like Jesus app, there's a lot of really neat stuff in there, a way to stay in touch with your brothers and sisters in your connection group. And the books are all there, and they're free to you. Um, But if you're old school and you like paper to turn, we we can set you up with that. Also, what we're doing as we go through this is we're finding stories that illustrate the theme of each of these chapters that we're going through in our Like Jesus series. So, that's where we're at. You know, Jesus is remembered by what He did and what He said, the way He lived. And that's how we will all be remembered too. Do you remember what Jesus said? There are two Big statements, two big commandments that sort of summarize his life and what he was all about and what he wants us to remember about him, I think. And the first one was two commandments that he gave. When he was questioned about this, and this happened more than once, uh, once he was asked how to inherit eternal life, once he was tested about the greatest commandment, and here was Jesus Response. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and a second is like it. And if you don't get this one, you don't get the first, I think is what he was talking about. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made this amazing conclusion. He said, all the law and the prophets 
all your religious upbringing as good Jewish people, everything that you hold dear in your scriptures, what your parents have taught you, what your whole nation, your whole community is about, hangs on these two commandments. If you get them, you'll get it all. And then Jesus left us another commandment. We usually call it the Great Commission, and it shows up in a couple of different places. Our favorite go-to place usually is at the end of Matthew, his final parting words to his disciples, where he came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why would he say that? I mean, that's a pretty fair amount of authority, don't you think? All? You know what that word means in the original Greek? All. Like, there, there is no more. All authority has been given to me. Which means, I'm about to tell you something that I have a right to tell you, and I want you to listen, I want you to get it. Alright, are you ready? Go and make disciples of all nations. And I have the right to tell you that because all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What I've taught you, you teach them. And here's my promise. If you will do what I've called you to do, there will be power with you. And I'd like to just suggest, people, that Jesus promised to be with us and His power is only there for us when we're doing what He has called us to do. And at the end of it all, He said, Surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. What an awesome promise. The One with all authority has promised to be with us when we do what He has called us, commissioned us, commanded us to do. If we were to summarize Jesus' life like this, it would probably simply be love God, love people, and make disciples. That is our path. That's our direction. That is about as clear and chiseled down as you can make what it is that He wants our lives to be about. Love Him. Love each other. And Make disciples of all nations. And incidentally, that word nation was it probably didn't set well with his disciples when they heard this the first time. Because that word in their language was also translated throughout the, the Scriptures in several ways. Gentiles, heathen, pagans, all those despicable people that we cannot stand as Israel, as the Jewish people. And that's the word Jesus chose when He said, go make disciples of all nations. All those despicable people out there that are not like you, that you cannot stand, and those are the people I want you to go after. They need to know Me. But they won't unless you get the first commandment and the second commandment down. And then... It will happen, and I will be with you. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. We're going to look at a story 
now that I think illustrates this so well, and it's about the calling of Matthew. And there is so much in this, and I think that as we spend time together as this family of faith, engaging God's Word in this way, the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Word, by the way, right? He inspired it, is going to help us see some things that God wants us to see. The calling of Matthew. And you can find this in two places. In Luke chapter 5, this guy is called Levi. But in Matthew, he's called Matthew. This story is about himself. And it's in chapter 9, and it goes like this. When Jesus went on from there, and the there was Capernaum. This was his uh, ministry headquarters after he left his boyhood home of Nazareth. He hung out there, probably at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, where they often went back to. <clears throat> and so that Jesus had just healed the paralyzed guy whose friends couldn't get in the house because it was too crowded. So what did they do? What you hope everyone will do to your roof. They dug a hole. They parted the whatever it was, whatever it was constructed of, so they could lower their friend down into the middle of the house. And Jesus healed him. He had a confrontation with the Pharisees, which just never, ever go away, do they? They're going to show up again in this story. But anyway, so as Jesus was leaving Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many other tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus overheard that. And when he did, he said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's the story. Wow. Alright, let's work our way back through it. I think that by the time we leave this morning, you all will know this story well enough to tell it. It's really easy to learn. It's powerful. It's a great one to have in your toolbox to share it with people. And maybe by the time that we're finished, you'll have an idea of who needs to hear this story. So as Jesus was going on from there, who did he see? Hello? Did you all have your coffee this morning? Who did Jesus see? A man named Matthew, and where was he? He was sitting at his tax collector's booth. What did Jesus say to him? Follow me. And what did Matthew do? He got up and followed him. Wow. So the next scene, where is Jesus? At Matthew's house. And what was he doing? He was having dinner. And who else joined them before long? How many tax collectors and sinners? Many. 
came and they, what did they do? They ate with Jesus and his disciples. Well, <clears throat> the super creepy Pavarazzi Pharisees were there as they always were. And when they saw what was happening, what did they do? They asked Jesus' disciples. Notice they didn't go to Jesus. You know, they cornered his disciples. And what was their question? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? One version, the New Living Translation, um, translates this. I love it. It says, why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> well, who overheard that conversation? And what did he say? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then, what did he tell them to do? Go somewhere. It's not what you would tell someone to do, but maybe similar. What did Jesus tell them? Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So he quoted something, right? And then at the very end, his final statement was what? For I came not... Come on, you people. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. All right, so let's tell it one more time, and you can mutter, mumble along with me if you want. <clears throat> After Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told Matthew. And Matthew got up and followed him. When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners also came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, Dudes, that's, that's what it says in my version, you need to get it. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Hmm. Can you imagine what happened in that moment? And in the next few hours to this man whose name had been changed from Levi to Matthew, probably when he's sitting at his tax collector's booth, he's still named Levi. Many scholars believe that Jesus probably changed his name from Levi to Matthew. Do you know what that means? That word, that name. It means loved of God. I guarantee you 
Until Matthew met Jesus, he had never ever felt loved by God, let alone his own people. Have you ever felt hopeless and helpless, stuck in your depravity, in your sin, in your screw-ups, in your addiction, in your screwed up sexuality, in your the pain and the hurt that you have caused people to the point where you just feel, this is who I am, I can't change, I might as well just go with it. I'm stuck. I guarantee you that that's what Matthew felt like. He was a tax collector. What's the big idea about that? And, and we, we've talked about this many times. Tax collectors in Israel were Jewish people hired by Rome who was occupying Israel at the time to collect taxes from the Jews, from their own people. But everybody knew that guys like Matthew, when they came to collect your tax or you went to their, their office, their tax collector's booth to pay your tax, they demanded more than Rome demanded. And Rome always got their cut. But the tax collector put the rest, the balance, in their own pocket and their own people knew it and they hated these men. They were traitors. They hated them. So Matthew was ostracized from his own community. He had sold his soul to his own greed. Hopeless and helpless without reputation except a horrible one. And along comes this new rabbi who many people are wondering if he might actually be their Messiah. And he stops and he looks Matthew right in the eye and he says, follow me, you. I want you. I know who you are. And I don't care. I know what you've done. And I don't care. Come and follow me and you and I will sort all this mess out together. Man, powerful, powerful. And at some point, if it's true that Jesus changed his name from Levi to Matthew, you can bet your bottom dollar when Matthew wrote his gospel, there is no way he's not going to call himself Matthew. Loved of God. How many of you never ever thought you would be loved by God until you met Jesus. Don't ever forget how powerful that was when it all hits you that He actually loves you no matter what. No matter what. Wow. So Jesus, in the next scene, He's sitting at Matthew's house having dinner. I thought He told Matthew to follow Him. Follow me. And the next, But Jesus ends up following Matthew home. He's sitting at his house having dinner. How is Jesus living out this second greatest commandment while he's sitting at Matthew's house? Not only love your neighbor, love your sick, sinful neighbor. And he's doing it. People, Jesus is the kind of master who wants to go home with you. And he wants you to invite all your sinful, broken homies over for dinner while he's there. He's not intimidated by that. He loves you 
and he loves your family, and he loves your friends. And he doesn't remove you from your environment and say, well, come to the synagogue and then I'll hang out with you. He goes home with you. He meets you on your turf. He hangs out in your territory with your people and He makes you all feel like your names are Matthew. He wants you to know that you are, after all, loved by God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what you've been through. And then He will get in the face of those who accuse you and condemn you and judge you and tell them all to go back to school. All you pious, self-righteous, religious people, you should have understood this. Your prophet has been shouting this to you for centuries. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, but you have missed the point. Go back and relearn this lesson that is keeping Israel from being Israel. What does that mean anyway? Since Jesus wanted us to understand this verse, what does it actually mean? I desire mercy. Who's speaking there, by the way? God, through the prophet. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What is sacrifice about? I don't understand Jewish culture, so bring me up to speed. What is sacrifice all about? It's an offering to God. It's what is part of their worship? Yes. Sacrifice is an offering to God. It's an atonement for our sin. It's an act of worship. I thought God wanted that. But here He's saying, I desire something else and not this thing that you call worship. What is it that He wants? Mercy. Who, who receives mercy from us as people? God? Does God need our mercy? No. Mercy is directed towards others. Sacrifice is directed to God. He says, I don't want that. I want to see how you treat those around you. I desire mercy. I want you to be merciful to your brother and sister, not offer me these sacrifices. It's not that I don't want your worship, but when your life is void of love and mercy, then your worship to me is empty. And it's repulsive. Because you think you can get something from me. You think that you can impress me and your hearts are empty of the very thing that I want you to extend to your brother and sister, your neighbor, your co-worker, your classmate, your enemy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. Ooh, maybe we all need to go back to school. And then Jesus makes disciples out of sinners. The last person on the face of the earth that anybody thought this rabbi would invite or actually command. He didn't invite Matthew. He said, hey buddy, 
I'm looking at you. Yeah, you. No, not the guy behind you. You. Follow me. By this time, we know that Jesus had at least these guys in his little band of brothers. He had James and John. He had Peter and Andrew. He had Nathaniel and he had Philip. So he had at least six. Imagine these Jewish men who are with Jesus, they're, they're just elated that he has asked them to be his disciple. They never made the cut with any other rabbi before and now they're with Jesus, the most popular rabbi in Israel at the time. And they're, they're hanging out with him. They've, they've seen these amazing miracles. And they walk by Matthew's tax collector booth. And Jesus stops and he looks right at him and he says, follow me. And Jesus' little band of brothers is going, what? Hold, hold on, Jesus. I, you, are you serious? No, not a tax collector. He's a traitor. We don't want him with us. Imagine the tension. Imagine the conflict. But I want you to look at who Jesus' disciples were. In another chapter in Matthew 10, Matthew lists everybody. Um, and apparently by this time, Jesus had all 12. And he says, here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, isn't it interesting that he wants you to know who he was? He wants you to know about his story. He didn't extract that from his name. Matthew, the tax collector. But that's not who he is now. People, listen. Some of you have a story of absolute redemption. Remember what your life used to be like. Remember how deep that pit was that you could not climb out of on your own. And how Jesus has completely changed you. Look at you now and look at you then and you are not the same person. Do not leave behind that story of who you are. Don't boast about it. It's not a thing to boast about. But it's a testimony to God's power. And people need to hear who you were. So they can see how God has redeemed you and the change that He's made in your life. Matthew, the tax collector, and he wants you to know. He wants you to know. Who else? James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Really, Jesus? This band of brothers. When Simon the Zealot finally joined the crew, Simon was an ancient Palestinian terrorist. He was a member of a radical conservative group that was pro-Israel, that hated the Romans, they hated the Gentiles, they were looking for the next military revolutionary who they could follow 
to restore Israel and make Israel great again as it had been under the time of King David. Simon was one of those guys who was hoping that Jesus might be him. So imagine when Jesus extends the invitation to Simon to follow him. He says, Simon, I see something in you. I want you to follow me. And Simon goes, well, who, who else you got in the group? And Jesus said, well, we got a bunch of good guys. One of them is Matthew, the tax collector. And Simon goes, are you freaking kidding me, Jesus? There is no way in the hot place that I am going to hook up with a tax collector. They're traitors. They have turned their back on us. I hate all Tax collectors, no way. And Jesus said, Simon, if you want to be in on the kingdom of God, I can show you what it really is. You think you know, but you don't. It's not what you think. If you want a piece of the action of the kingdom of God, here is your test. You have to love that man. You have to love that man. And somehow... Because they were both following Jesus. They were able to love each other. That does not happen outside the kingdom of God. Then there was Peter. He denied Jesus when the chips were down, when it was really tough. He just lied. No, I don't know him. Three times. Three times. And yet Jesus loved him and restored him. Beautiful story of that at the end of the Gospel of John. You should read it. And then, last but not least, Judas. He betrayed Jesus. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He was so overcome with guilt and grief that he hanged himself. And yet Jesus, still knowing what he was going to do, washed his feet on Thursday night, shared his bread, and shared his cup with all of these men. Oh, and don't forget Tom, the guy who wouldn't believe. You women are crazy. The rest of you fellow disciples are nuts. I won't believe until I put my finger into the holes in his hands and my hand into the hole in his side. And Jesus shows up and he goes, Okay, Tom, you asked for it. Here you go. Reach out your hand. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. And Thomas finally, seeing was believing for him. <clears throat> the people that Jesus made disciples of were ordinary, messed up, jacked up people just like you and me. 
And those are the people that he goes after. Wow. Okay. We're going to uh, spend just a few more minutes with this story. We have some professional actors among us, and they're going to dramatize this story for us right now. So come on up and uh, just let God speak to you. You've visualized it as we've told it. Now you're going to really be able to see it interpreted for you. So for a little context, this is, Matthew's already been called, it's a modern, it's a modern day rendition. So Matthew's been called and this is the dinner at, or his party afterwards, okay. Hey, it was off the chain, off the chain. But I have how come they get let in first? I'm so excited. I've been waiting here 45 minutes. Am I not dressed up enough? Scum, this is ridiculous. Scum, Jesus, Jesus, he's here. This is the one that I told you about. Here he comes. They're not going to, he's not going in there. Hi. Oh, no. What the heck? Why is everyone getting in before me? Hey, you. I even made reservations. Hey, this is my best outfit. How can, how can you eat with these people? How can your teacher eat and hang out with these people? They're scum. Those who are healthy have no need of a doctor. Only the sick. Don't be so religious. Have mercy. For I did not come for those who got it all together. I came for those who know that they're seriously broken. It's amazing how powerful and pointed a little drama can be, isn't it? Nathaniel, would you help me out over on this side? And I just want to hear from... Darren, you want to take this side? What's God saying to you right now? What did you see? What did you discover in this story as we've engaged it together as a family? What is it that He's saying to you? What might He say to the rest of us through what He's speaking to your heart? Not everyone all at once, please. I would say grace and mercy is what keeps us, and love covers a multitude of sin. Mm. Wow. Yes. Yes. Philippe. I love Matthew's response in this story. I mean, he's called, he's he's seen, he has a community now. And he's immediately connecting his community with this Jesus. And um, it's powerful. Because I, I, don't know, I, I think of myself, it's like when, if I'm seen or desired or brought into the fold, I want to share that. When I find an answer, when I find a solution on something, I want to share that. And that's what he does here. And it's so awesome 
to see that that's his immediate response is like, no problem. Sinner, my friends are clearly like undesirable. Jesus is clearly like whatever he is, whatever people think he is, and I, we're going to all do this together. It's pretty powerful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Matthew did not keep Jesus to himself, did he? What else, what else is God telling you? Susan? Darren? I have the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, what I was pointing out last service is the, how Jesus just has all these sinners, even in, within his discipleship, and knowing what they were, what that? knowing what they were, what they are, what they're capable of, even after him being gone, and knowing all this, and he still loved them. I've brought this up in many services and will continue until it penetrates in our hearts. God loves us unconditionally, unconditionally. And that means what we think we aren't and what we feel we aren't as people and, and followers of Christ. He still loves us regardless as sinners, of what, what other people tell us, who we think we are. We, he still loves us unconditionally, not because one day we decide to do good and, oh, yeah, he loves us today because we do good. And then the moment we mess up, oh, well, he don't love me no more because I messed up. No, that's not true. Especially in our mess up is when he loves us. No matter what we think of ourselves, what others think of us, he still loves us unconditionally. Right on. Thank you, Vanessa. What else? Chuck, hey, so uh, one thing that the Lord has been working on with me last few months really is that uh, to try and like not only to do good to those people that we like, I mean it's easy to do that, but to try to serve people that we you know, tend to dislike or hate, you know, there are people that treat us badly, we still need, uh, we, we should try to go out of our way to try to help them any way as possible or to try to say a kind word to them anyways. I mean Christ-like leadership serves people that they don't like, mm. you know, so. Yes, thank you John. <clears throat> For me, when I first got out of prison, I was sitting right here. It was my first service. And when you're in prison, you, well, my prayer was to find a church that I would be accepted at for what I've done wrong. And most people that you meet that have a problem with church, they think it's God, but it's, not, it's usually the people in the church, not God himself. And Chuck did this drill. He made us stand up, and he said, I want you to look to your left. Then I want you to look to your right, and I want you to look behind you. And in front of you because you're probably standing next to a prostitute, a thief, a murderer, a child molester, a liar, a cheater, a manipulator. Welcome to FCC because this is what we're made of. Because God loves you all. And that's resonated with me for the past three and a half years. And that's what keeps me being part of this church and to be accepted because God loves us all just the way we are. And uh, great message. Thank you, Darren. Anybody else? And I just want to add, while you're making your way back there, I am so proud of you all, of FCC, because you have, you have welcomed with open arms so many people who never ever thought God, let alone His people, would be interested in them. But at the, in this house, they have found a home, and that is all because you guys are getting what Jesus has taught us. So, thank God for you. Thank God for you.
for me, it means that God forgives me and gives me mercy. And to show the light of God is to give mercy to those who have hurt me or harmed me and to be grateful for them and share with them and love them. Wow, that's powerful, Susan. Thank you. Everybody, I was just uh, looking at uh, not only Matthew 9, but Luke 5, because the same story occurs in Luke 5. And in Luke 5, the first thing that happens is Jesus gives Peter and the disciples that miraculous catch of fish. When it's, it's the middle of the day, they're cleaning their nets. They, he tells them to go out in the deep water. You can't get the fish with a net in the deep water. He says, go out in the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. And they catch this miraculous catch. Anyway, um, it's very likely when they had this catch of, of the year, guess who collected the taxes on that? Matthew, he's the man. He heard about this miraculous catch. Everybody in town was talking about it. So as they're bringing the fish on, on shore, Matthew's there saying, give me your money. So and how do you think Peter and the disciples felt about paying that tax to Matthew? We see Matthew had been running into this stuff because he, he heard about that catch and he knew the source of that. So Peter and Matthew already knew each other. Matthew already knew the kind of things Jesus was doing. And the, the dinner at Matthew's house wasn't an accident. Luke says he, Matthew threw a banquet in Jesus' honor. Mm. Yes. It wasn't just the, that Jesus followed him home and it was an accident. No, Matthew wanted everyone he knew to meet Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, he wanted to introduce them to the one who gave the miraculous catch to the one who loved him. And so it's just beautiful. Thank you, Scott. Great. Anyone else? Thank I you. don't know about you, but I've been the Pharisee in one way or the other. I've been the lady waiting outside thinking that she needed a reservation, worried about her hair. And Jesus said, why are you waiting outside? Just come in. Mm. Mm. Ooh. Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in. Thank you, sister. Wayne. It's difficult for me to to comment on any of these things because I I sense a great love for God among this community, a desire for union with God, for communion with God. And I want to say thank you to everyone here for what God has given you and inspired you to do for him. As for myself, I have all the sins that anyone's ever talked about. I often look at my own sin and, and I ask God continually to release me and also to not only cleanse me, but use me to heal others who are in need of redemption, are in need of hope, are in need of prayer, are in need of joy. And I want to ask all of you to take this step to 
live with Christ and to inspire those around you to give them hope and to pray over them and to forgive them if they've done anything wrong in their lives and ask the Lord to forgive you as well. And this is the blessing of God, the blessing of the church. And I want to thank all of you and ask you to pray for me and for people everywhere because I, as the minister was talking, I reminded of my two pilgrimages to the Holy Land and I spent a lot of time with the Jewish people in the uh, in Jerusalem, in the old city. And so I'd like to remind you all to study more, to understand these traditions, and to uh, understand that there were, and have always been good people, and that we should learn from them. I want to thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Let's pray. Um, Tiffany, would you go get Noah? And we want to pray for you guys. This is our newest couple here. And we'll, we'll pray for you here at the end of the service. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for seeing your image your spark of the divine in Matthew with all his sin and calling him and how you have done the same for each one of us. We love you. We give ourselves to you anew again today in Jesus' name. Amen.